Thank you, ladies. Good song. Good job. I hope Jesus comes back tonight. Amen. Uh, you may not be excited about it, but I think it'd be great. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Malachi chapter 1. Uh, the world wouldn't be too happy with that. As soon as Jesus gets his children, then the Antichrist is going to step up. That's going to be a pretty ugly time. I'm glad I, I get to miss it. Amen. Malachi chapter 1, two weeks ago on Sunday nights we started a 14-message uh, series of random subjects from my stack of sermon ideas. Uh, last Sunday night we talked about doing our duty when duty calls. We talked about how duty is a good motive for doing what's right rather than a bad one. It isn't the best motive, but it's a good one, even though it's fallen out of favor with some people. They hear me, no one will ever become and remain mature and consistent follower of Jesus for decades unless you embrace doing your duty when, when duty calls. Uh, it's an essential motive because uh, our feelings, are, they're fickle. Sometimes we don't feel like doing the right thing. Sometimes we feel, quite frankly, about like doing the wrong thing. And it's times like that when duty needs to kick in and we do what we're supposed to do and it's the best motive available uh, at the time. Uh, and though duty is a good motive, we talked about how the fact that if you find yourself just doing what you're supposed to do for the Lord and your ministry with your spouse, with your children, if all it's motivating you for duty, uh, it's been like that for a long time, something's wrong. You, you need to find your heart. And we find our heart remembering. We find our heart being thoughtful and being thoughtful, and that will stir up our heart and make it a little bit better. And we thanked uh, God for Jesus Christ doing his duty. Uh, the cross was not a joy to Jesus. It was a joy that was set before him that moved him there. He endured the cross. He despised the shame, but he did it because there was no other way you and I could be saved. Uh, tonight, uh, I would like to go back to the book of Malachi. Uh, the final drops of ink uh, from our creator as he closes out the Old Testament. Uh, for anybody who knows anything about the history of uh, the nation of Israel or America, you know that both nations have had their ups and downs spiritually. Uh, America has had several uh, what has been called great awakenings, great revivals, times when God's spirit moved in a special way and uh, lots of people were saved and people who were saved were motivated to live more faithfully for the Lord Jesus. Uh, Israel, uh, as we read about her history, from the day that God delivered them by the hand of Moses from Egypt, uh, they've been up and down, in and out, times of great awakening, great kings, great prophets, uh, times when uh, things were uh, complacent, careless, idolatrous. Uh, and as the Old Testament closes with the prophet Malachi, it was not a time of revival and spiritual awakening. You see, a few hundred years earlier, they had been taken captive to Babylon, and that kind of cured their idolatry. But after 70 years in captivity, when they came back, they still had this up-and-down pattern of following Jehovah and times of uh, backsliding and complacency and, care and faithlessness. Uh, at that time, there were no more temples to Baal uh, or Ashtaroth in Jerusalem. There were no more groves on top of high hills with idols uh, to, to other gods in Judea. Uh, they were religious. They religiously went to the temple. 
They religiously went to the synagogue that had sprung up during the captivity when the temple had been destroyed. They religiously spoke about Jehovah. They religiously bragged about their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and how uh, they had this special connection with God. They listened every week to the writings of Moses and David and Solomon and the prophets uh, every week in the synagogue and uh, regularly in the temple. Many of them may even have had copies of some parts of the scripture for them to read in their very own homes. If you would have asked them, they would have said, we're God's people. If you would have asked them, they would have said they were specially chosen and blessed. But when Malachi picked up his quill to write, their bodies were in the right place but their hearts and minds were elsewhere. I think everyone here is aware that God did not choose you and I uh, to be placed in a time of great awakening and revival in America. Now, some of our most senior people will remember times from their childhood when revivals went for weeks, when lots of people were saved and biblical churches were jammed full and growing and sprouting up everywhere and Biblical Christianity and biblical morals had a huge impact on our culture. Uh, some here who are our most senior people, you remember those times, but that's not today. That's not what's going on. I mean, thank God there are other churches like Bible Baptist Church where God is moving and, and working, but for the most part, American churches and believers, they're characterized more by complacency, carelessness, and worldliness, and quite frankly, they don't care. Uh, but I'm not here tonight to lament the darkness of the day in which we have been placed. Did you know that even in the darkest times, God has a faithful remnant that he calls his jewels? If you're able to stand, if you would stand tonight, please, in honor of God's word. The title of my thought tonight is When the Lord Assembles His Jewels. When the Lord Assembles His Jewels. Malachi chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where's mine honor? If I be a master, where's my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests that despise my name. And ye say, Wherein have we despised thy name? We didn't do anything. Verse 7, ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar. And you say, wherein have we polluted thee? In that you say the table of the Lord is contemptible. And if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? By the way, notice it's, that's an interesting word. It's not, is it not sin? Remember, evil has multiple meanings in, in the Bible. In this particular case, it is willfully doing something they know they're not supposed to do. In verse 8, if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? You offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? And now I pray you, uh, beseech God that he will be gracious unto us. This hath been by your means. Will he regard your persons, saith the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do you kindle fire on my altar for naught. Uh, I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Well, that's a strong statement. 
I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. Thank you. you might be seated. First thing we need to notice about Malachi's day is that it was a day characterized by the priests and people giving God their leftovers. See, God, in the end of verse 6, he, he says, O priests that despise my name, and you say, wherein have you despised my name? He calls offering uh, something less than their best as despising his name. They denied it, but that's what God called it. God considered offering the lame and the blind offerings on his altar, he considered it contemptible in verse 8. He said, if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? If you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer them now to thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee and accept thy person? Uh, he calls it contemptible there in that text that we read earlier. Uh, they're not giving God their best. They have uh, lambs uh, and they have rams and they have oxen that are not lame, they are not sick, but they're not offering those for sacrifice. And God just reminds them, he says, listen, if there were important people in your life, if the governor came to your house, that's not what you would serve him. You would give him, because you honored him, the best that you were capable of giving. In fact, uh, God feels so strongly, or felt so strongly about what they were doing, he said that he had no pleasure in them, and he refused to accept their leftovers. That's how verse 10 closed. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts, neither will I accept an offering at your hand. Hear me, God is not a desperate being. God, God is not up there just wringing his hands while I hope someone will throw me a little scrap of attention. I hope uh, God, someone will do just a, a little anything for it. Listen, no, God is an omnipotent creator. He's on the throne of, of the universe, and, and he doesn't accept our junk. I remember uh, at the church I was saved at for a long time, we had a, a clothing uh, thing where people would bring in their clothing. And you know what no one ever brought in? Good stuff. Uh, everybody brought the stuff they didn't want anymore. And they brought the stuff they didn't want anymore, and they thought, wow, you know what? This is a great sacrifice for the Lord. No, it isn't. Uh, listen, I'm not uh, saying, hey, uh, don't give stuff you don't want to somebody who needs it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, listen, but that's no sacrifice. It's leftovers. And God challenges them in the beginning of verse 9 to confess this sin to them and change their ways. He said he'd be gracious. Verse 9, now I pray you beseech God uh, that he will be gracious unto us. Now listen, God never brings our flaws our sins to us just to leave us there to wallow in defeat and guilt. He always brings our flaws and sins to our attention so we confess them and find mercy and grace from confessing to him. Now you may disagree, but I think it's part of our human nature. After we've been saved for a while to tend to give God our leftovers, then to give him our best. See the benefits of giving our best to our spouse and children, that comes back to us quickly. Not so much quickly when we give our best to God. Benefits of giving our best at our job or at our school, they're immediately felt. But the benefits of giving our best to God, those are not immediately felt. It's a long-term investment. Listen, after you've been teaching a while, it's easy to throw a lesson together. Not pray as fervently. After you've been singing a while, it's easy not to practice as diligently. 
Not pray as fervently. After you've been preaching a while, it's easy to throw a message together. Not pray as fervently about what you're preaching. Listen, after you've been doing any ministry for a while, it's easy to get in this groove of casualness instead of keeping this fervency for doing our best at whatever it is we do for the Lord. I have no doubt that here tonight, it's a Sunday night, that there are people here. You have not fervently approached or prayed for what you do for the Lord in a long time. It's a Sunday night. There are probably people here tonight, and you came here, and you literally did not spend any time in prayer saying, God, show me who I might help tonight. You didn't one time say, Lord, uh, bring somebody across my path to whom I might encourage. Lord, bring somebody about across my path who needs a good word from you. God, help me to be your mouth. You came here tonight, and your idea was just to get, to get, to receive, to receive. Uh, uh, listen, that's not really the way it's supposed to be. I, I know it's hard to keep giving our best to God. It's hard to consistently give Him our first fruits instead of our leftovers. And the Jews, quite frankly, they're offering these sacrifices and they seem to have no idea that God was so displeased with them. They had no idea that everything they sacrificed was a picture in some way of the Son of God. In fact... I'm going to really say the same thing to anyone here who's giving your leftovers that Malachi said to the people in that day. Uh, you know what? Repent. Just confess. Seek God's mercy and His grace. You know what? God will give you mercy and grace. But it's not just that Judaism in Malachi's day was characterized by priests and people giving God their leftovers instead of their best. Secondly, Judaism in Malachi's day was considered, uh, was characterized by Jews considering God's work a weariness. Notice verses 11 through 13. He says, for from the rising of the sun, and this is prophetic about the kingdom of Christ. He says, from, from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place incense shall be offered unto my name and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye have profaned it, in that ye say the table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof even his meat is contemptible. Ye said also, this is what they said about their offerings to God. Behold, what a weariness it is. And you've snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts, and you've brought that which was torn and the lame and the sick, and you brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? Did you hear that phrase? What they did for the Lord, verse 13, what a weariness is it. See, God points out that serving him had become a weariness to them instead of a blessing. They were never excited to go to synagogue or the temple or give their offerings. Doing it was a weariness. They're never excited about the things they did for God. Uh, the things that God, they did for God, they were a weariness to them. Uh, if they had sports teams, they'd have been excited about their sports teams. They'd have been excited about family gatherings. They'd have been excited about harvest, uh, which is nothing wrong being excited about any of those things. But they had no excitement for the things of God. The things of God were a weariness to them because they had a wrong attitude toward God and the things of God. 
Listen, there, there's nothing wrong with being excited about a lot of different things in life. In fact, I would say to you, be excited about them. A lot of good things in life to enjoy. But, but there's something wrong when we're excited about everything other than the things of God. I think it's our human nature, fallen. After you and I have been saved for a while, we grow weary in well-doing. And we let this life excite us more than the next life. There's a reason Paul said to believers in Colossae, set your affections on things above. See, when church is a weariness to you, any, any excuse for missing is a good reason to miss. When church is an excitement to you, Reasons for missing are just things you overcome to be able to go. When your ministry is a weariness to you, any excuse for not doing it is a good reason to you. When your ministry is exciting to you, things that try to make you miss, they're just distractions you overcome to do what your heart wants to do. Uh, when our boys were young, I, I loved watching them play sports. I loved sports. I could not catch a lime last night from three feet. It was an absolute failure. I was the laughing stock of 80 people. My wife is still laughing at me. And really, honestly, she threw a lime to me from three feet. There was no arc whatsoever. I'm like this, and she's whew, line drive right below my hands. I don't even think I touched it. It is an excuse. Uh, listen, it, it, there's a lot of things we can be excited. You know what? I, I do. I, I enjoyed uh, when our boys did that stuff. I enjoy time with my family. I enjoy. There's nothing wrong with being excited and enjoying a lot of things. But there's something very wrong when we're excited about so many other things in life, but all the things of God are a weariness to us. I don't want to be excited about everything else and then the things of God be a weariness to me all the time. Have the things of God become a weariness to you instead of an excitement? Listen, I, I do, I, I know, I, I, I've been saved now, I'll be 40 years this Easter, I've been trying to serve the Lord with all my heart for a long time. I understand, you get weary in well-doing, I, I, I understand, it, you, you know, our, our passion go, goes like this and life goes like that, but listen, there's something very wrong when the things of God are pretty much always a weariness to us. I love watching Duke basketball. I love watching Michigan football. I love watching the Bengals play back when they uh, had a healthy quarterback, if they can actually have one that lasts more than a few games. Uh, listen, there's a lot of things that I like. But I don't want anything more exciting in my life than the things of God. Listen, if you're taking every excuse as a way to miss, instead of making a way to do what you're supposed to do for the Lord every time you can, then you have allowed your heart to wander and you need to find your spiritual excitement again. Listen, there's people, you're in here tonight and you used to be excited about coming to church. You used to be excited about ministry at Bible Baptist Church. And now, just a weariness to you. Listen, I see it all the time. Oh, everybody's got a reason to miss choir, teen activities. Oh, it's cold outside. Well, you'd have went to your ball game. It is cold outside. Listen, if you wouldn't have went to your ball game, I have no beef with you. 
Are you to, you, you'd have done all kinds of other things, but no, not, not your ministry. Excuses for missing cleaning crew, not passing out flyers, not doing anything more than the minimum. Listen, God knows your heart. And it doesn't matter if you've convinced yourself you have an excuse. You are not fooling God with what you tell yourself. Notice in verse 14, he said, but cursed be the deceiver which hath in his flock a male. That's pretty strong. And voweth and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. You know, I think one of the best things you'll ever do in any ministry, whatever you do, whether you are uh, cleaning the floors, uh, teaching a four-year-old, singing a special, playing in choir, playing in an orchestra, singing in our choir, listen, I think one of the best things you ever do is give it your best. And you'll never do that if it's a weariness to you. See, they pay no attention to this attitude. They thought God was somehow fooled by their excuses. But God called it a corrupt thing. And God called them to repentance through Malachi. He wanted their attitude to be better as they served him. In fact, that's what I'm doing tonight. If you've become weary of the things of God, a repentant return. If you have no excitement about a youth activity, no excitement about a visitation, no excitement about your ministry, no excitement to come here, something's wrong if that goes on too long. But it's not just that Judaism in Malachi's day was characterized by considering God's work of weariness. On number three, Judaism in Malachi's day was characterized by Jews calling things differently than God called them. Notice in Malachi chapter two and verse 17. Malachi 2, 17. He says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, wherein have we wearied him? God answers them. When you say everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them. Or where's the God of judgment? Call things something different? Or why doesn't God do something? Where's the God of judgment? Listen, calling good things evil and evil things uh, good is nothing new. It goes on today, and of course it went on in Malachi's day. God here corrects them for that. Listen, if you pay any attention at all, I mean, you know there's a lot of people that call churches like Bible Baptist Church, they call us legalists. Even though biblical legalism is always adding something Jewish to be saved or stay saved, they call us that. And listen, they don't say that in a complimentary way. Some people call preaching on hell and judgment emotional abuse. People call believing a literal account of creation, Noah's flood, and a preserved English Bible in the King James Bible. They call that being ignorant. Uh, People would call preaching that our gender was assigned by God rather than a choice somebody gets to make at some time in their life. They would call it narrow-minded. Listen, people call all kinds of good things evil and evil things as being good Uh, In fact, there's a lot in our culture, they would call the people in this room, they would call you fanatics. Just like some people in this room would wrongly name people who aren't like us slopwads. See, uh, calling good evil and evil good is nothing new. We, We need to just be sure we're not a part of that in either direction. 
And uh, listen, let's just be honest. It's hard to call things what they are when it's our family and friends. I can't tell you how many people I've known over the years, they believed homosexuality was sinful until somebody in their family, quote, came out of the closet. Oh, by the way, you chose loyal to your family member to be disloyal to your God. You can stay loyal to God and still love your family member. It's hard to call things what God calls them when our family and friends uh, are involved. But listen, that's a part of being loyal to our Savior. And the Jews at that time, they paid little attention to calling things what God called them, and it wearied the Lord with their carelessness. And God calls them through uh, Malachi to repentance, and that's the same thing I'm doing to you tonight. If you have decided you're not going to call things what God calls them, I just call you to repentance and faith in the God of the Bible. But it's not just that Judaism was characterized in Malachi's day by them calling behaviors something different from what God called them. Notice number four, Judaism in Malachi's day was characterized by Jews refusing to give God the first tenth of their income. Notice in chapter three and verse seven, it says, even from the days of your fathers, you are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me and I'll return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, wherein shall we return? But that's a, just an interesting verse. I mean, God says, return unto me, and they're like, I didn't even know I was away. You say, wherein shall we return? And verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. You say, wherein have we robbed thee? God answers them in tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse. For you've robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to uh, receive it. Uh, they didn't even realize that way they handled their money had distanced them from God and they needed to return. Listen, God, giving God the first one-tenth of what comes to us was an ordinance given to them by Moses. He speaks about that here. Leviticus 27, 30 says, All the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. And tithing did not begin with Moses. It began with Abraham. And it's continued. Jesus, on more than one occasion, taught people to tithe, to give the first tenth to the storehouse. In the New Testament, that's the church. And though we might not like failing to tithe, uh, being called robbing God, that's how God looked at it. So why? Because he considered the first tenth to be his. So I don't look at it that way. Well, you don't look at it like God looks at it. So why would he consider the first tenth to be his? Well, because he gave you the strength to work. He gave you the skills to work. And he gave you the opportunity to use your strength and skills. There are people with no strength to work who wish they had strength. There are people with no skills who wish they had skills. There are people with strength and skills who wish they had an opportunity to do them. I and God, if God has given that to you, he says, listen, because of that, by faith, you give me the first tenth. I do not believe tithing will make you rich, but I do believe it opens the windows of heaven's blessing on your finances. 
Say, well, good, my finances are bad. I'm going to begin to tithe. Listen, if you manage the 90% that remains poorly, God cannot bless you enough to keep you out of financial trouble. Listen, it's hard to look at our money like God looks at it. It's hard for the Jews to do it. It's hard for us to do it today. And what God did here is he calls them to repentance through Malachi, and that's the same thing I'm doing tonight. Listen, if you're not looking at your money like God looks at your money, if you don't consider yourself to be robbing God when you keep the first tenth for yourself and you got reasons that make sense to you, hey, listen, what I'm saying to you, hey, return to the Lord. Look at it like he looks at it. But it's not just that Judaism in Malachi's day was characterized by Jews keeping their tithe that belonged to God. In fact, everything I've talked about tonight is really just an introduction to a short sermon. Though most of the Jews had lives that were characterized by offering God their leftovers, characterized by a bad attitude and considering God's work of weariness, characterized by calling things something other than what God called them, and keeping their tithe for themselves. Hear me. Not all of them were like that. In the midst of all that spiritual complacency, in the midst of all that spiritual deadness, was a group of people, a faithful remnant, which is our last thing tonight, number five. There was a faithful remnant God considered to be his jewels who refused to be like everybody else. Malachi chapter three, verse 16. Then... They that feared the Lord spake often one to another. And the Lord hearkened, and he heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord, and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I'll spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. You see, despite the fact that most of the Jews in Malachi's day had no healthy fear of the Lord, there was a group who did. Their healthy fear of the Lord moved them to sincerely obey God, moved them to spend time together to assemble, to speak often one to another, and to be an strength and an encouragement in their faith. This fear of God, this healthy fear of God, it moved them to think on God's name. His name was more than a curse word to them. His name was not just something they broke out uh, once a week when they assembled in the synagogue or when they assembled on Sabbath, if they were in Jerusalem in the, in the temple. They thought about God often. This group feared and obeyed God. They spoke often of him, and they thought on his name, and doing so moved the heart of God. God is not a communist. The reward for believing on the Lord Jesus Christ is eternal life. The result of choosing to live a lukewarm life after believing is to be empty-handed at the judgment seat of Christ. God has a reward for the faithful. God has rewards in the kingdom of Christ. God has rewards in eternity that some believers will receive and other believers, they will just suffer loss. Can you imagine what most of these other Jews thought about this faithful remnant? Eh, what are they doing in church on Sunday nights? Fanatics. 
You don't have to go to church on Sunday night to be a Christian. Uh, can't you hear them criticized? Well, why are you so careful about your sacrifice? You don't have to give God your best lamb. After all, you give God your best lamb, then you have the sick one left. You really think God wants you to have a sick lamb? Can't you hear the human reasoning and the criticism of all these religious people who were, uh, the work of God was a weariness to them. They couldn't even relate to somebody who wanted to be there and assemble, who wanted to do their ministry, who wanted to please the Lord, who wanted to pray, who wanted to walk with God, who from their heart just wanted something other than going through the motions and living their life, doing other things through the rest of the week. Can you not hear their criticism? Well, the temple's just too important. You, you don't have to go to the temple that much. The no comprehending. And some people, they don't go there because they have to. They go there because they want to. And God here calls this special group of people his jewels. I, I don't really know what that means exactly. I don't think anybody does. I don't think we comprehend what God has in store for those who give him their best instead of their leftovers, for those who stay excited about the things of God, for those who call things what God calls them and honor him with their tithe. I think it's beyond our comprehension. I do know this. And when somebody has a valuable jewel, they take good care of it. If it's somebody they think won't steal it, they show it off. I think, and I don't honestly, I don't understand this. I don't know how a God who is perfect in love and loves everyone perfectly. I don't know how he has special affection for some. I, I don't understand it. But we're told that. Um, being one of God's jewels has nothing to do with your wealth. has nothing to do with the size of your house. has nothing to do with who your parents were. has nothing to do with what your past was. It has everything to do with your heart and the things of God. Listen, I, I want my family to be proud of me. I, I want to live in such a way that I make it easy for my wife to follow my leadership and for my children to honor me. I, I, I want to live in such a way that you're proud that I'm your pastor. I, I don't want you to see me coming in the grocery store and dash around the other side. I, I don't want you to be with your friend and me come up and you be ashamed at all to say that this is my preacher. But, but more than that, I want my Father in heaven to be proud of me. I want him to be able to look down and say, that's my son. Do you see him there? 
some, some of you all, you, you know what it's like, you're uh, a parent on the side and your kid's doing really good at something and you're like, yeah, that's my kid. Some school academic thing and yeah, that, that's my kid. That's my child playing the piano. I, I want my father to feel like that about me. And you understand, that has nothing whatsoever to do with my position in the church. That has everything to do with who I am as a human being. Who I am when you don't see me. Who I am in my home. You know, so tonight, if Christ is in your life, you're going to heaven. Salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus. But if you're a believer who wants to be one of God's jewels, somebody who really wants to have Jesus someday see you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant, you can. I thought back uh, over the years as people I've been privileged to know, I thought about a lady named Myrtle Maine. She's been dead a long time. As far as I know, Myrtle Maine probably never worked much more than just the most basic of jobs. But if you ever seen her, I mean, her Bible was well used. She was in church. She always had a good word to say for the Lord. I remember visiting her in the hospital. And I mean, I'd only been saved a couple years. And she's trying to talk to me about some things in the book of Acts. She didn't teach any classes. She was just a godly lady who loved Jesus. She was a jewel. I thought about a guy, again, he's been dead a long time, named Carlos Workman. He got saved in his 50s, and so he always grieved that he had been a bad dad to his children. He was always burdened for his children because he spent all the young years of his life elsewhere. And I just remember him going through the neighborhood giving gum to kids and trying to get them to come on his bus. Just sweet, gentle, faithful. He's a jewel. I thought about a lady, I don't know if she's alive anymore or not. Her name's Louise. And uh, when we went into ministry, uh, she always just kind of took a special interest in our boys. And she really wasn't a wealthy lady, but she would always give them stuff. Just a jewel. See, see we, we don't look at things like God looks at them. We, we somehow feel if, if you can't sing well like they did tonight or play an instrument or uh, sit on the piano and play well like Erica did or stand up here and teach and preach the Bible, that, that, that somehow you're some second-class citizen in heaven. And that's just not true. Listen, you can, no matter who you are, love Jesus with all your heart. You can have a passion for the things of God and give your best to God regardless of how other people look at it. You can just decide, you know what, I'm not in church tonight. It wasn't a weariness to me. I wasn't looking for a reason to miss. There's people, they're not here tonight. They're probably watching live stream. And, and, and hi, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're watching live stream. I really am. But you know, you could have came. You just had some reason 
because coming was a weariness to him. And when doing what you're supposed to do is a weariness, you're looking for a reason to stop. When doing what you do is out of a heart of love for Jesus, it's not a weariness. Amen? Be a jewel. You can stand.